Anastasia. How are we doing this fine winter's evening? It is cold. It is so cold in New York. There is a winter storm coming. So it is the perfect night to stay in and watch the Australian Open. And pretend it and, and be warmed by the Australian summer from our TV screens. Yes. I really hope the heat comes through because I need it. I'm like bundled up in a hoodie and I'm like, ooh, do I need a scarf? I'm like, oh, I should just turn on the heat. But trying to save the planet, Nick, we're just trying to conserve energy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's vitally important. And uh, we endorse all of our listeners saving the planet. Um, yes, but I please. think we are, look, we are pretty giddy at the minute because it's Grand Slam season and it comes only comes four times a year. Uh, it's the Aust- Yes, and this is our first time covering the Grand Slam because we're so new. Indeed, indeed. And um, it's probably, for those of you who are new listening to tennis, it might be your first Grand Slam as well. At the very least, it might be your first time trying to follow the Australian Open, which, judging by our audience, I mean, Australian Open is very much a, a slam that's kind of awkward to watch for most of the world. But we kind of say that's fair because all the Australian tennis fans have it awkward for the entire rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so we're willing, so like those of us who are generous are willing to allow them some comfort uh, once a year. Yes. To- for one, yeah, once a year in January, in the middle of their summer, they can enjoy tennis and the sunshine and, you know, the beach and everything. Uh, but the rest of the year, we get to have exciting um tennis times it has been quite the struggle keeping up with tennis in australia um we're going to talk a little bit about how you can watch the australian open um depending on where you are in the world but let's start from the beginning let's start from the history of the australian open when did it start yeah how where where is it played in australia yeah so australian open is one of the four grand slams the four majors of the tennis calendar so one of the four most important events that you want to win like if you win Australian Open you are officially naming up in lights in history books uh, the Australian Open actually started as the Australian or Australasian tennis championships in 1905 and it was hosted alternately between Australia and New Zealand for the first few years ah. of its uh, existence until 1920 five i think when they just settled on it staying in australia and that's they they brought in a it was the men's singles in 1905 they didn't bring in a women's singles event until 1922 but they eventually caught up with the rest of the world then and very quickly um within about a few years australia became one of the biggest tournaments on the calendar it hadn't been up to that point uh but uh basically a guy called don budge who basically invented the term grand slam uh, decided, announced that he was going to try and win the Australian, the French, Wimbledon and uh, the US, um, which he did. And he was the one who eventually coined it, um, which is why we get Grand Slam from. Is the, um, the Australian Open is the youngest one of the four Grand Slams, right? So uh, it depends on what you count. Mm, okay. Because the French Open wasn't actually open to non-French players until 1925. Ah, so, okay. So, so even though it was a Grand Slam before then. So it existed right, before right. that, but because mm. you couldn't win, you couldn't play it unless you were French, it um, it didn't count. So it kind of doesn't count. The, yeah. the, the, the yeah. best players weren't going. Uh, and Australia in its history actually had a similar situation, not by force, because 
let's face it, when it first started, you're talking about the history, 1905, 1920-something. Imagine trying to get Australia to play before air travel was a common thing. Um, Even up to the 1960s, it was a problem. So it wasn't too common that the very, very best players in the world went to Australia to play it. Um, mm-hmm. And even even into the 80s, it was they really struggled to get top players to regularly go. But it still counts as a major. Um, and there yeah. have been periods where it's been competitive. But yeah, uh, now it's one of the biggest tennis tournaments in the world, quite rightly. It's played in Melbourne. It's moved around Australia a fair bit, but it's played like in Melbourne, one of Australia's biggest cities. And for two weeks of the year, Melbourne goes tennis mad. Uh, which <laughs> is like any other city hosting a Grand Slam. But um, I have friend. I had a friend of mine who was in Melbourne, not as big a tennis fan as I am. And he was sending me photos of seeing all the Australian Open publicity he was seeing around the city. That's pretty cool. So the, the city just sort of becomes sort of tennis Disney World for two, three weeks, basically. More or less, yeah. Uh, and they have, yeah. A, they have a great time. And uh, yeah, we've got a little bit more about what it's like at the Australian Open right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I was able to talk to Cam Williams and Cam Williams is a YouTube. He's a YouTuber. He's a streamer on YouTube. And I think he also streams on Twitch as well. And he is a commentator. Um, You might remember we mentioned his channel in our last episode when we were talking about how to watch tennis and where you could watch tennis. And he streams matches and commentates on them on his YouTube channel. Um, he has a really pretty big following. We'll link his YouTube channel um, below, but he is Australian. So I was able to get in touch with him and just have a conversation about what it's like attending the Australian Open, what the grounds are like, how to get tickets, um, the best courts to see, you know, what if you want to go see Iga or Novak, when to buy tickets, how to buy tickets. And it was a really great conversation. I learned a lot. And, you know, Australia is now, Australian Open is now on my list of places to visit. And I think just based on his conversation, I kind of have a game plan. So we're going to insert that interview right now. Welcome, Cam Williams, to the Ground Pass podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. So yeah, we're about to start kick off the Australian Open. Um, but before we start, Cam Williams, who who are you? So, so I run uh, I run a channel called Tennis Talk on YouTube. Uh, you, it's called Tennis Talk with Cam Williams, and uh, yeah, it's been around for about just over five years now. Do a lot of commentary of matches so for those who can't watch the match or those who want to go out and do some shopping or they want to clean the house and they can't sit down and watch the tennis they can listen in and uh yeah sort of do a lot of other things a lot of previews a lot of uh, breakdowns a lot of breaking news um as well especially this time of year when things are happening every day it seems like something new happens someone gets hurt or someone someone's withdrawing or the draw comes out and there's matches to talk about. So there's just, uh, that's sort of just everything that you can do uh, yeah, in the tennis professional circuit, both tours, WTA and ATP, we Yay. cover both. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Equal <laughs> opportunity. So it's so funny because Nick and I, our last episode, we were talking about like how tennis fans can watch tennis and follow the tours and, you know, it can get pretty complicated. And we did mention your channel because, you know, it's a great place oh, cool. where 
if you can't sit and watch, you can just listen. And I think your commentary is so colorful, you always feel like you're there. Like you can't, you know, so you're not really missing um, anything at all. And I'm sure this is a pretty busy time for you because it's Grand Slam season. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's the point. I didn't start off like that uh, when I started. It was just sort of I was just watching tennis and I just wanted to to talk to people about it because most people either aren't up, up at one in the morning around my area or um, or they, they don't watch yeah. tennis. So it was just kind of a way of an outlet to just talk about the sport I'm I'm crazy about. So uh, and then it just turned out to be that people yeah, it turned it turned into what it yeah. is, which is uh, which is fun. awesome. Oh, that's great. So for anyone who doesn't know, Cam is based in Australia. Basically, the tour is in your backyard now, which is great. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. They're sort of in your time zone, <laughs> Cam. Which you're yep, pretty used to um, following the tour around the world and, you know, calling matches at 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, <laughs> but the tour is finally in your backyard. And, and that's why we wanted to have you on is to talk a little bit about the Australian Open and what it's like to mm-hmm. go to the Australian Open. Have you been going all your life or? Yeah, I've been sort of on and off um, for the for the you know, since I was a kid um, or since I started sort of playing tennis yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, just sort of on and off. Uh, the last couple of years it's been hard. I mean, with restrictions in 2020, even to 2022, there was – Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, 21, 22, there was restrictions. So we couldn't uh, – you couldn't go to much. Um, and when you did, you have to wear a mask. And if you wore a mask in 40-degree heat, it's not it – It wasn't no, fun. So I've done that. Um, it's not that's fun. That's been a little – yeah, it, it was – yeah, it's a little tricky. So – but before that, and before I started the channel, I used to go a lot more. You know, just go during the. You know, lucky enough to see some of the big names. This year, I've gone to the qualifiers, which gives you access to a lot of big names. Like I saw Alcaraz and I saw Djokovic oh, and practicing. So that was that was good enough for me for this year. But um, yeah, probably on and off for best part of 10 years. Oh, that's awesome. So what are the grounds like? Like I'm used to, so I'm basing in New York, so I'm used to going to the U.S. Open and it's a pretty contained area. Um, Is it a large, is it in a park? Like what are the grounds like? Is it the middle of the city? Yeah, it's it's sort of just on the outskirts of like the central Melbourne city. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, the location is basically center of town. I've been to Wimbledon and that's way out of the way. Like Wimbledon and London are not in the same spot. <laughs> um, you can't just get off, uh, you know, you can't just uh, go to Piccadilly Circus and then walk down to the tennis. That's not right, how it works right. over there. But in in, Australia, in Melbourne, it does work like that. You can go to like the middle of town and then just you know, 20 minutes down the road, you can, you can see the tennis. So it's really central and it's really open. There's a lot of things to do outside of the tennis. Right. Um, they've got a lot of like massive grounds where they have activities and stuff. So... Yeah, it's um, it's pretty compared, and I think, and I've heard about the French Open in Roland Garros. It's a that's more contained too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it it feels like it's just huge. There's just so much to do and so much to get lost in um, outside of the tennis stuff too. Right. So it's probably just also a good, you know, I think I was talking to Nick. Um, when the U.S. Open was happening. Now, the U.S. Open, I think, is a little mm-hmm. similar to Wimbledon. It's, it's, it's not in the city. It's, you know, you have to take a bunch of trains yeah. and it's a little bit outside of the main city of New York. Um, it's contained, but there is tons of stuff to do around um, the place. So it's interesting that the Australian Open is is kind of right in the middle of Melbourne. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it never used to be. Um 
like in the eighties, it was in Kuyong, and that's a little further away. I think that's probably about a fifteen minute drive. Um, but yeah, and then I mean, before I was around, they were playing there. But oh, nice! Then, there's uh, a there's an exhibition yeah, happening it's, it's right now, right in Kuyong. Yeah, yeah. They, oh, they, so that's what that's become. That's what it's uh-huh. become. Yeah, they've become just as a little bit of a nod to the to the history of the of of the Australian tennis game. So. Yeah, but um, that's a little bit further out. That would feel more like you have to trek out to that. That's not in the city. Right, right. <laughs> so, oh, that's cool. So yeah. what is it laid out in? Like I, I'm envisioning sort of, so is there a big center court and then like a bunch of tiny courts or w- what is it like really? Yeah, so you've got um, Rod Laver. Obviously, that's the center court, the, the crown mm-hmm. jewel. Right next to that is the Margaret Court Arena. So they're almost, well, over the last probably – Five years ever since Margaret Court Arena got a roof, it's they're basically one thing now. It's sort of an indoor complex where you can kind of you don't have to go outside to go to both. You can just kind of go inside. Oh, they're both. connected. They're the same entrance. Oh, yeah, they've cool. they've kind of like connected them. Um, and then there's John Kane Arena, which changes its name every other year. <laughs> this year it's called John Kane Arena, and that's like way out of the way. That's like because that's more of a multi-purpose center. So the tennis is on for two weeks and then they play like basketball and they do concerts there and like it's more of a multi-purpose thing. Mm-hmm. That's out of the way. That's way down the road. That's probably the furthest away. But with where Rod Laver is, that's where Garden Square is, which is where uh, most people can sit down and watch the big screen. Um, kind of, I guess Garden Square is like our um, like Murray Mound or Henman Hill. Yeah. Uh, familiar with Wimbledon stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. And then they've got like a lot of courts. There's a couple of courts down towards that John Kane arena, but the majority of the courts are up like all the, all the main courts outside of the, like the show courts and stuff are outside of Rod Laver arena and around that area. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's again, very spread out. It's very spread out. But the city of Melbourne is also accessible. So it's sort of thing where if you're visiting the city of Melbourne, it's, you know, this time of year anyway, it's um, Mm -hmm. the tennis is right there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to travel too far. Like no, like public transport, maybe you get on a tram, but that's about it. Like you don't have to do too much. Like if you're staying inside Melbourne, you're not going to have to do too much walking or too much, too much travel. Walking would be enough. Right. Right. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about a little bit that you went this year and you did practice sessions. So, and here's the thing about tennis. Sometimes tennis can be super expensive. I, you know, I mean, I have mm-hmm. mostly experience in New York where, first of all, everything's expensive. And, you know, the U.S. Open is just <laughs> off the chart sometimes. Have you been to the U.S. Open yeah. before? No, it's on my list. It's, it's on your list. I so, want that to be my next one. Oh, yeah. That's yay. my next one. <laughs> You'll have to come visit. But um, so which yep. which Lambs have you been to? Uh, so I've been at Australian Open a lot and then went to Wimbledon in 2015. Um, almost went to Roland Garros that same year, but plans fell through. Oh, cool. And then, so yeah, you never had to... a, like I've never been around. Right. So you have to check off the US Open and French Open off your list then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wimbledon's the hardest to get in though. That's like, because you have to, you have to queue and stuff. Like you can't just walk up and, and enter like like the Australian Open, you can just walk in. Yeah. Um, if you've got a ticket, you don't have to wait. Uh-huh. Um, so I feel like, yeah, Wimbledon, I've done the hardest one. <laughs> so I feel like going to the other ones, You're like, I, I did can it. get a ticket, go in. Yeah, it would uh, be a little easier. Yeah, totally. So what is it like? Or you you go in and watch practice sessions and stuff, you said. Um, mm-hmm. what it, 
you know, there are different levels of fans. Like what if I'm, I'm on a budget, you know, and I'm, I'm a young fan. What is it like to, what are tickets like to get at the Australian Open? Are they free sessions? Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do? Does it do? You, does the Australian Open have a fan week like New York does? Yeah, so they've kind of adopted that this, like, sort of this week, I guess, the, okay. the week before it starts. Um, they've kind of re- renamed this week called it's called Opening Week. Okay. Um, you might have noticed if you've been watching, like, if, if the listeners have been watching, sort of the. Uh, the exhibition tournaments that are going on, you've got something like, you know, Alcarez was playing a match against Demonor and then you had Djokovic and Friends. That was being uh, done yesterday and Osaka Raducanu was supposed to do something. So they've got those kind of things and they're called like the charity matches and they, they're about $20 Australian each. Um, I went to the qualifiers, which used to be free, but now because there's so much to do and so much to see, they charge $10, which again is is nothing... Um, considering I got to get to, like I got to see Alcaraz in like super close, I got to see Djokovic at Rod Laver practicing with Zverev, um, Sabalenka, Zachary were on there too. Like you get really, you get to see players that you wouldn't necessarily see because yeah, unless you get lucky with tickets to get to Rod Laver at you know, a night session with Djokovic, for example, during the event. So it's really, it's kind of yeah, they got that fan week. So if you are on a budget, I'd say go to the like the fan week or go to the opening week. Because that way you can see the qualities. You know, you can see the qualities with tennis. They do practice matches too, which is what Zverev and Djokovic were kind of doing. Yeah, um, a little bit playing practice points, so you get to see them play. And that, that the stadium was probably at least three quarters to a half full. Wow! And, and this is Rod Laver that they're they practicing on. Yeah, <laughs> it <was> crazy. <laughs> that's um, all. So it's and yeah, a lot of people a, around the ground. People, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, um, and but ground passes are around thirty dollars if you want to go to like the main events. Um, like round one, round two, like early days are thirty dollars for ground passes. I'm jealous. I am so jealous. <laughs> for reference, friends, <laughs> for reference, U.S. Open ground pass tickets are about you know sort of fifty U.S. dollars, and the later you get in the tournament, they can sort of be like eighty mm-hmm. to a hundred dollars. <laughs> For ground, yep. for ground pass tickets, okay? So you just need to get a plane to Australia. <laughs> yeah, and it's see, great. That's where you, that, <laughs> you save money on the tickets, but it takes forever to get here and it, you have to pay. The plane tickets are expensive, so it's give and take, I think. <laughs> it is totally give and take. It's totally give and take. So you've kind of explained a little bit, you know, because I think anyone going to you know, a big grand slam. They want to see the big players, you know, they want to see Novak. They want to see Iga. They want to see Sinner, Carlos Agras. They want to see the big names. And you've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, maybe going to the opening week and you can see them practice. But what if I wanted to see them, you know, play actual matches and stuff? What's the scheduling been been like? Are they mostly going, are they mostly being scheduled, you know, main main courts, night sessions kind of thing? Well, yeah. So, like, if you, for Djokovic, for example, um, as it is with every slam, he gets center court. I, he, I don't think he's – maybe he might have played court two or court one or something uh, when he was, uh, like, lower down the ranks a couple of years ago. But, yeah, you're pretty much – Rod Laver Arena is where he's going to play every day that he plays for the rest of his career. <laughs> um, Sviontek's a tough one because so many times last year at different events, she'd get put on – court one when she was the number one player. So yeah. I, she's a little bit tricky to kind of, I guess, pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, tickets for the show and open come out in like October. So you can, there's two ways you can do it. You can test your luck 
and kind of buy, you know, Rod Laver night session day one or two or, you know, try and go for a quarterfinal and hope that Djokovic or your favorite player gets through. Mm-hmm. Um, or what, I, what I've done before, and this was probably about 10 years ago, was Leighton Hewitt was my favorite player. And I've never seen him play a match live. So I waited for the draw to come out. And this is a little bit riskier. <laughs> waited for the draw to come out. And then the schedule came out. And as soon as the schedule came out, I bought tickets for that session. So he was playing like night two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to just hope that it's not sold out. But you can do it that way too. Um, if you want to see, especially Djokovic. I mean, he's going to be, he's so hard. He can, I mean, everybody wants Djokovic tickets. So it's, it's, it's Once the schedule comes out, and I think the schedule might come out today actually when mm-hmm. we're recording this, the tickets will sell out so quick if it's on the night session wow. or the day session depending when he plays. So you kind of got it. You got to be quick, kind of like I guess Taylor Swift tickets were a couple of months ago. <laughs> just be on the button. Just purchase. You just got to press the button yep, straight away. <laughs> right, right away. And um, yep. is there a big sort of resale market like there is here? Because here, you know, it's like once the U.S. Open tickets are released, they're just sold out. Like every session sold out. And then it all becomes this race to see what resale prices of tickets are going to go for. Is it kind of like that there? Or do you not have that culture of um, resale tickets? Um. No, we do. We do have that a little mm-hmm. bit. Not as probably not as extreme because okay. we've got less people, so it it doesn't get as crazy. And I guess because there's a lot more to do outside of the tennis. So we'll probably talk about this later. There's a lot of things like there's a lot of people that go to the tennis just to hang out with friends and do other stuff. They mm-hmm. don't even really watch the tennis. So the people getting the Rod Laver tickets are the ones that want to be in Rod Laver and get uh, get to see their best players. But to get, like, I've done this before, um, sometimes you get really lucky if you're hanging out in Garden Square sort of around 9 o'clock. Uh, you could get free tickets if somebody comes out because they have to go to work the next day or, the, you know, whatever. And they, I've, been, we've been, I've been given tickets before to go in. If you're just sitting around and they, somebody goes, oh, hey, you know, they kind of pass the ticket on. Wow. So that's kind of cool that that's that happens sometimes. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty. Um, you got to cool. be pretty lucky, but yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like that idea, you know, because you yeah. are right. You know, it's very, it, it's, it's funny just listening to you talk. It is very similar, a little bit to the U.S. Open, where a lot of people go. It's just a good time, you know, hang out, have a yep. few drinks, have food with friends, and you know, kind of watch the tennis. Now, it's a little harder at, at the U.S. Open because none of the the real sort of like sit around foodie drinky areas are overlooking okay. courts but i saw yep. a little post a while ago on social media about this new sort of fan zone area or like a new building that looked like it was overlooking courts at the australian open is this a real thing i noticed that when i went the other day um because i was i was streaming the whole thing oh really i just, I just do that um so i was streaming the like I, the whole time i was there and uh, yeah, I it was called like it was something. It was like a bar or something bar, and mm-hmm. I, I hadn't seen it before because I went in twenty twenty two and it wasn't there. Um, and yeah, it was sort of like a, it was almost like a courtside clubhouse with oh. like a two story bar, and you could go in there. And I'm like, I don't know who's going to play on that court. But <laughs> it's going to be loud because everyone's just going to be drinking. I know, like it's going to be a loud they're not gonna there's no quiet please over there like it's gonna be crazy so but i was like that's the place that i want to be if i'm right. going to the tennis because 
Uh, I mean, they've got to put the Aussies on that sec on that section because mm-hmm. I, you can't put um, anyone who's who doesn't like the uh, Medvedev will not survive on that court. <laughs> so you got to get players that don't care about crowds going crazy. You got to put them there. Well, um, maybe you should just put Medvedev there for shits and giggles. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'll get a lot of clips. There'll be a lot of funny, funny <laughs> clips if he was there. Um, but yeah, that's something new, and I like it. I think it's a cool. Like, I don't know how they're gonna. Like, it would be weird to go to a bar and it's just like dead quiet because everyone's playing tennis. So, of course, yeah, yeah, and you know, I think maybe it might be part of this sort of new. I know. Um, I was talking about like we had an episode where we were talking about the next gen finals and sort of a a few Mm -hmm. of the new rules that they were trying to implement. And one of them was basically, you know, the crowd can move around and just do things. And there wasn't really a sort of, you know, specific sort of be quiet time or or anything like that. They were just trialing it. And, you know, I think, and I think if I've heard a lot of tennis players either absolutely love the U S open or it's really not their favorite mm-hmm. because I think the U S open, a lot of people are just there to have fun. You know, they're, they're loud. They're not really quiet all the time. It can be a very ruckus crowd. So mm-hmm. I, I do think it's interesting that tennis is kind of going this way, but I think it also does attract people to it. Cause some, you know, some new fans might think it's a little bit too stuffy to just sort of be, quiet and silent the whole time and you know if it's not incredibly disruptive to players it's worth kind of seeing how it goes i'll be interested to see what matches are put on those courts and and how the players Mm -hmm. react to it yeah yeah i feel like someone like a ben shelton would thrive on that he would love that that college because i've watched college tennis like a little bit of highlights and stuff and that's they don't, they're not quiet because they're cheering for someone on another court. They're doing chants over there and then mm. someone's trying to play. There's no quiet time. So players that like would thrive, I mean, yeah, those, those kind of players like Ben Shelton types would thrive on those loud, yeah. <laughs> loud, you know, disruptive crowds. I mean, they made the semifinals of the US Open, so it must have worked somehow. <laughs> no, it, it really, it, I mean, he he just ate it up and it was fun to watch. And, and that's the thing. It's, mm. I think... When you are in that environment, everyone's fun and everyone's into it. It almost enhances the experience. And I think for a new fan, yeah. that might be, you know, something a little different and might attract new people mm-hmm. to the sport um, instead of it being like, and, you know, all props to a, a, a tournament like Wimbledon. I love Wimbledon because you like the tradition. You like a little bit of tradition, but it's nice to kind of yep. switch things up a little bit and, and try new things. Yeah, it's funny how, like, the, the four slams do have, like, a different – like the crowds reflect sort of the culture of of the city like yeah. Wimbledon UK more reserved New York louder Australians we're sort of in the middle mm-hmm. um and then the French crowd are more like a football crowd or soccer crowd where they <laughs> yep. they want to just where it's like good luck <laughs> go crazy for their person and then uh you know they don't care about the opposition <laughs> no matter who it is it's 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 epic yep. okay that i mean it seems like a really exciting atmosphere to be in. And I'm thinking now if, if I was sort of like, if I had limited funds and I'm flying to Australia and I'm going to stay there the whole time and I want sort of like best tickets in the house and all that stuff, where am I going? So I'm getting Rod Laver tickets, right? Yeah. You're going to see the, especially, I mean, yeah, the first couple of days on Rod Laver, you sometimes they just put the Australians on because of course. Mm, Yeah. Um, But yeah, 
you know, Diminor is going to play Rod Laver a lot, you know, and, right. and that might not be who you want to watch. You want to see, you know, sometimes you might get lucky and get to see them on a, uh, like some of the top four or five guys outside or the four top uh, four WTA players. Like Rebecca might not get center court every day. Um, but if you wanted to see like Djokovic, Rod Laver, Arena, well, yeah, I mean, that's already going to be expensive enough <laughs> because it will be a night session. But they've got they've actually got these courtside seats. Um, I think there's probably like twelve of them. Uh, you might see it during the open over the next couple of weeks. And usually, it's like I think like Russell Crowe sat there, and like all these. It's usually just celebrities, but they're three thousand dollars a pop, and um, you get to sit on. I think Will Smith sat there maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, watching Kyrgios for a match a couple of years ago. So. Like those seats, if you want to sit there, it's three thousand bucks. So that's if you've had unlimited funds. Comfy chairs, I think they they might be recliner. They're really like it's like going to the movie theater. Um, wow! And are they side. right? Yeah, the so, court side. Okay. Yeah, on the yeah on the court. Um, so yeah, they're sort of like I guess they're like a bit of a, a six foot drop from the front row of the stadium chair to the court. Wow! But you're on the court, so. Those are the ones that, and I've looked, I've seen them. Like I think I might have joked about them a couple of years ago. I'm being like, oh, that, that's where I was sit. If I'm going to go once, you go there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you might, like I said, you might be sitting next to like Nicole Kidman or someone. Hey, you <laughs> like, know, if it's you your never birthday, know who's going to be on those seats. You know, it's your birthday yeah. and an anniversary. You just want to do something nice, and you're a tennis fan. Hey, get me a little courtside mm-hmm. <laughs> recliner chair on Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, okay. So, I mean, this is so great. I, I love the sort of picture you painted of the, um, of the grounds and like going and things like that. And, you know, we have fans all over the place and maybe you can't go mm-hmm. to, um, the Australian open, but you're in Australia for some reason. Why mm-hmm. can't you go to the Australian open if you're in Australia? Guys, if you're in Australia, <laughs> During the Australia Open, make your way down to Melbourne and at least hang out on the grounds. But if you can't, numerous reasons why you can't, you're working, whatever. What is the what is the sort of tennis viewing like? I think this is something Nick and I are going to, you know, go through this year. How do you watch tennis? Because it seems like it's such a huge talking point and it seems like it's also quite difficult to nail down. Is yeah. there sort of one channel you can go to in Australia where it's like, okay, the tennis is on during the US, the Australian Open? Yeah. So there's, um, I think it's Channel 9, are the, like the broadcasters for the local television station. Um, and they show they show a lot, but um, like they, they do prioritize the Australians and then ah. they will sometimes – switch between like mid-match so they might be showing a part of someone like this match and then all of a sudden they just kind of cut to like oh well someone else is playing <laughs> so they don't really have one specific match right but i think there might be like alternative channels with within that channel nine that you can watch like specific matches maybe online it might be on you know you might be able to stream it online yeah um if you're in australia um but there's also a there's a streaming service called stan that i use as well, which um, does do a bit more specific. It's kind of like a Netflix, um, and it does sport. Okay, and that does that does show a lot. Um, in Australia, again, you got to be in Australia to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the two. We don't have tennis channel here, unfortunately, um, and we don't. I mean, you have to like ESPN and those kind of things are a little harder to get, right? Um, a little more expensive. So yeah, they're the two. They're the two that 
I would that I use. Um, you can't use tennis TV if anyone has tennis TV for like Indian Wells, for example, and the ATP stuff. Yeah, can't use that. That's the that's the downside. But um, maybe one day. Maybe, maybe maybe one day it's just going to be simple and everything will just be in one place and we will all be happy. Yeah. But, you know, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, you've kind of given us a little rundown of, you know, the tournament and stuff. And I don't think I can have mm-hmm. Cam Williams, the famous Cam Williams on the show without actually talking about the tennis that's going to be happening at the Australian Open. So the draw is out and we don't have to go too in depth because that's not the kind of show we do, but what are you, what are you looking forward to? Who are you looking forward to seeing playing? Who are you looking to do big things? I mean, I mean, I was watching Alex de Menor at the United cup and being like, wow, this might be the year. <laughs> this might be it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, there's a, there's actually a lot of good first round matches. Like Osaka, I want to see what she does, but the yeah. fact she's playing Garcia first round, that is like that's a cra- like if I wasn't going to watch it, um, and I wanted to go in, I'd go watch that live. Yeah. Um, seeing how Osaka comes back, uh, and I hope she does come back strong because I think she's really good for tennis. Uh, obviously, the big names. See what Djokovic looks like with his wrist problem that he had last week. Fiontex got a tricky draw. Ken and Fiontex a great first round match again. I mean, I, I saw Sabalenka that. Does. Yeah, I saw that first oh, round yeah. match um, with Egan and Kenan, and all I could think of was the Coco and Kenan match at Wimbledon. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. That should yeah. be fun. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, well, Kenan hasn't been too good the last couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. hopefully, I mean, she won the she won in twenty twenty, so she knows she can do it. Yeah, um, I want to see how Coco does too because this is the first event she's going to where she is a Slam champion. So it's yeah. like whereas you know the first uh, Slams you know, since she won the US Open. So interested to see that. See how Sabalenka does as well with being a defending champion. Um, love watching Alcaraz and Sinner. So keen to see how they do. And I really, I just there's so many matches I want to see in like from the quarterfinals onwards. Yeah, but I, I mean, we don't always get those we don't matches. Know. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it should be. Um, like, yeah, I just feel like this. This feels, especially if Djokovic is not a hundred percent, it does feel super open. And on the women's side, I think it's super open anyway. Like, there's a few obvious names, but there's no like one obvious name like there is with Djokovic. So it just feels it could be a wild couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean that. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, Nick and I are going to talk about our our little review of predictions. And I think I I don't really even have a prediction. I just have a wish and I just hope it's a new champion. You know, Grigor Dimitrov, let's go. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. He's my dark horse pick because it'd be such a feel good story. Yeah. I mean, oh, it would be so. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? No, actually, I can't imagine, but it would be so good. Yeah. He just someone. can't play Djokovic. If he, if he avoids Djokovic, he can beat the others. We've seen him do it lately. Isn't that, so, isn't that the story? It's like, well, if you can avoid Novak, <laughs> yep, anyone could win. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh my goodness, Cam, thank you so much for joining us on the Ground Pass no podcast. It's been really nice to have you. Hopefully, we'll have you sometime later in the future. But thank you for joining us to preview the Australian Open. No worries. Thanks for having me. 
So that was a great interview with Cam Williams. Again, I will list his YouTube channel below. He was really lovely to talk to and maybe sometime later in the future, we'll have him again on the podcast. Uh, yeah, great interview. I really enjoyed listening to that. And uh, yeah, great guy and like really useful for anyone who wants to go to the Australian Open, know a bit about it. If you're in Australia, worth going. Even useful information if you can't go this year, planning for 2025. Uh, which, let's face it, sometimes you do have to plan your Grand Slam visits a year in advance, especially if you're trying to go somewhere like Australia. Exactly, exactly. So bookmark this episode, you know, if you want to start planning sometime later in the year to, to head over to Australian Open 2025. Now, so what if you're not in Australia? How do you watch, you know, the Australian Open? I'm in the States and here in America, the Australian Open is covered by ESPN. If you have just ESPN on your TV, through your cable subscription, it's really tough. It's really, really tough. For example, the Australian Open actually starts in a couple of hours from when we're recording um, right now, but the coverage on ESPN starts at 12 a.m. That's midnight tomorrow. U.S. time. U.S. time is when the coverage starts that's when they're going to show the very first match. Because, at, the, you know, because the, okay, so the Australian Open coverage starts at midnight UK time, but they're actually showing yes. the day session. So yes. they, is there no so, way of watching the day session in the US? So there is a way to watch day, day session, but well, actually, no. So it, it seems like what's happening is if you just have ESPN um, through your cable subscription, they're just going to show the night matches which will start around midnight every night. And, you know, I guess you could record them and watch them the next day because unless you're planning to become a night owl for, you know, the two weeks of the Australian Open, I don't think everyone's going to wake up at midnight to watch tennis (laughs) every single day. But if you have ESPN Plus, which is their streaming service, you can watch matches as they start. So you can watch them live. So in a couple of hours, once we're done recording, I'm actually going to turn on um, my ESPN plus subscription and I'm going to start watching the day matches. Um, So it's pretty tough. So I I would suggest if you really want to follow the Australian open and you want to watch whatever courts you want to watch and what matches you want to watch, I would suggest ESPN Plus because if you're just relying on ESPN through your cable subscription, first of all, it starts at midnight. Second, you don't get to choose the matches. They're just going to pick what they feel is interesting for their programming. Okay, which, you know, you might expect from a a standard broadcaster, really. Um, If if they're not a tennis-focused channel, then it makes sense. And the night matches are meant to be the, the prime matches as it were the the one the best ones the ones that you know that most people are going to want to watch definitely in australia um and in europe yeah. as well because those matches will be on um uh you know in the morning in my time like 8 a.m uh so mm-hmm. realistically it makes sense that that would be well we're paying a premium for the night match we might as well put it on everything um uk is a little bit different uk is kind of similar but not so uk it's on a channel called eurosport eurosport have two channels eurosport one eurosport two it's very likely that they're going to be showing the australian open on both channels so there'll be two different matches on um so you could you're covered um either way and you can get eurosport through whatever 
digital cable package. Like it's not called cable in the UK, but um, the equivalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, something like if you are, if you have Sky TV or have it, you might have it. You have BT or Virgin or whatever. If you but that if you want multi court coverage, you need to download the app belonging to Eurosport's owner, which is Discovery Plus. So um, that's what I'm going for. So I've paid because I don't have a all round subscription that includes Eurosport on my Sky Now package. Um, so I have paid £6.99 for the month to um, have Discovery Plus for the month and uh, watch your and watch uh, the Australian Open and I and I will get court coverage choice on there so that would be that's the way I would do it obviously I think Eurosport's pretty much the Euro Europe wide provider so if you're listening to this from anywhere in Europe that's the best place to kind of catch up and watch Australian Open tennis if you maybe have trouble following on TV for whatever reason maybe you want to listen to it whilst you're trying to sleep or you have to work then Again, find a YouTube channel like Cam Williams um, or Talking Tennis to listen to. Or there is Australian Open Radio, um, which will be on their website, um, which you can listen to. The Australian Open website has that. Um, So that's ways to follow it. But obviously, we've talked about the Australian Open, and this is like the first big prize anyone can win all year. Um, And I guess before we kind of launch into things we should get excited about in the very short term. Um, Anastasia, what stories from the men's draw are worth following? And I'm not just talking about who can win the title, which you can quickly list. We're not an analysis show, so we're not going to go into why. But if you just want to give us some names that like, these are the people who are most likely to win and then go into interesting stories that people can follow in Australia. Yeah, I mean, you know, so this is the first tournament or the first, sorry, the first Grand Slam of the year. There have been a couple of tournaments over the past two weeks, but not all the players played. Some players didn't. So this is just based off maybe results from last year, what I saw at the end, and also probably stuff that happened, you know, last Australian Open. So for example, Ben Shelton, last Australian Open, it was his very first time being a professional on tour, his first time out of the country. He'd never left the States before and he got a passport and went to the Australian Open. Um, So, and he got all the way to the semifinals. So he's someone that I'm interested to see if he can defend those points in tennis. Like things like that bring a lot of pressure to players and you're sort of like, how has Ben Shelton grown in the year he's been on tour? Can he defend these points? Especially since he has been on tour. I think last year he was new. Maybe no, you know, people weren't ready for his game, didn't know how he was going to play. But now he's a quote unquote veteran. You know, he's been on tour for a year. People might have figured out his game. And how does he respond to that? So I'm really interested to see what Ben Shelton brings. Of course, you know, Sin Karaz, we can't we can't not be interested in what Sinner and Alcaraz are going to be doing. They did not play any lead up tournaments to the Australian Open, but Sinner had a phenomenal end of 2023. You know, ending with the Davis Cup and his win against Novak Djokovic. You know, so he is rolling into 2024 with all of that energy, with all of that momentum. So I I would really be interested to see if he can sort of carry that 
momentum and just really, really great form into the Australian Open. And of course, as Alcaraz too, he didn't have such a great end of year. I, you know, I think the World Tour Finals was the first time at the end of last year that I thought, oh, that's the Alcaraz I know usually playing. You know, he had to adapt to the to the speed of the court, which his very first match um, was tough because he didn't really, you know, like it. He's not really great indoors yet, I would say, but I think he will get there. So it'd be interesting. It's it'll be interesting to see where he's at since he didn't really end the year great, but he had a great 2023. He won. He won Wimbledon in 2023. So it would be nice to see. He also did not attend the Australian Open last year due to injury, and I remember thinking to myself. All off season, I was like, someone put Carlos Alcaraz in a box and don't let him do anything that might injure himself, <laughs> which is hard to do if you're practicing in the off season. But he made it to Australia. He's in the draw. I'm excited to see uh, his first match. Two more players I have to talk about. Alex Diminor, who... We're going to talk about this later in what happened on tour in the past two weeks. But Alex Diminor beat Novak Djokovic at the United Cup. And I know, you know, if you saw the match, there's the wrist issue that Novak might have had. And maybe someone's like, Novak wasn't playing at his best. But Alex Diminor beat Taylor Fritz, Alexander Zverev, and Novak Djokovic to get Australia to the finals of the United Cup. And I think that is phenomenal. And taking that energy and that form into the Australian Open in Australia, and he's Australian, I mean, I think Alex Menor might win the Australian Open. (laughs) Really? He was looking that good. (laughs) He was looking that good. And he's in Australia. He's an Australian sensation in Australia. I don't know. He, you know, never, you never know. I mean, he has improved a lot. (laughs) And obviously any Australian listeners would really, really want to see that because the Australians haven't had a a men's champion of Australian Open since 1976. Um, that's the last mm-hmm. time a men's sing- they've had a men's singles champion. They've had men's doubles champions the last two years. Um, and they've had women's singles champions recently. But men's singles, it's been a long wait. Uh, I know you've got one more player, but I just want to say, uh, Australia didn't make the United Cup final. They lost to Germany. They got to the semifinals. Oh, that's true. They got, they got to the semifinals. Yes. They all yes. won his match, but it wasn't enough. Yes. But it wasn't enough to get them through. I remember that. Oh, that was heartbreaking. It was so close. They were so, so close. They were so close. It was the mixed doubles. Anyway, yes, they only made it to the semifinals. No, they didn't make it to the finals. But yes, my last player is Grigor Dimitrov, who won his first title in Brisbane, which was um, two weeks ago. So it's the first tournament, basically, um, in Australia of the season. And he won his first title since 2017 when he won the end of year ATP finals. It's like Grigor Dimitrov is back. He's been, I think, last year, and I think it was kind of around Monte Carlo, he announced his new coaching team, Jamie Delgado, who used to coach Andy Murray, but now is coaching Grigor Dimitrov. And he also switched from Nike to Lacoste. And ever since then, he's just been a different player. Like right after Monte Carlo last year, he's re you saw an improvement in his, in his matches and the way he was playing and he was winning a lot more. And he all, he all of a sudden became 
a point of conversation again. And he took that all the way to the indoor season where he did really, really great to get to the finals of the Paris Masters, where he lost to Novak, which was crushing, I think, because I think he really did feel that was a tournament that he could win. And he just kept, he just carried on. Like he didn't have a drop in form. He came into Australia really strong and then finally did it. Finally won his, his, um, uh, a tournament since what was that? Six years ago, I guess. Yeah. Say 2020. Yeah. 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 Six years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was really great to see. Is he going to win the Australian open? I don't know, but he's looking really good. And I think it's nice to see him have a little bit of a resurgence. Um, from someone who who I think a lot of people thought weren't was not in the conversation anymore. He, he'd been in the wilderness for a while, and he was, you know, if there's us tennis fans know this, he was very, very hyped up as a young player ten years ago, um, as like the next big thing. People were talking about him being the world number one. He got to world number three, but he's never made it past a Grand Slam semi final. Got super close against Nadal at the Australian Open in 2017. And he's won a Masters that title. He's won the ATP finals. But yeah, he's a player who's had a lot of talent, a lot of potential. But obviously, his his ceiling um, was not as high as people expected him in terms of what he could achieve in his career. Um, obviously, I've heard you like those are definitely some really, really good stories we should keep an eye on because they're all really feel good stuff. And we should definitely like those are players that people should follow a route for. There are two other players in the men's draw that are in the conversation for winning the title. I just want to throw those teams names out because it's likely our listeners are going to hear their names a lot. And they are Daniil Medvedev. He's been to the Australian final twice in his career. And the record holder, he's won more Australian Opens than anyone else in history. He's going for his 11th title in Australia, which would be his, I think it was going to be 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, sixth in a row. Novak Djokovic. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Those are definitely two names you'll hear a lot, um, especially someone um, in Daniil Medvedev, who also didn't play a warm-up tournament to the Australian Open, which has been a talking point, I think, a little bit this year. There have been a few big names who didn't play warm-up tournaments into the Australian Open, and what's that going to be like? I think a lot of players are thinking of the Olympics and keeping their bodies kind of strong till then um it would be it's going to be interesting i think as the year goes on to see what sort of tournaments people either drop out of or don't really have warm-ups to um simply because the olympics really does throw a wrench into not a wrench obviously but um it's an added tournament that is very important to players and it's a long season already i guess it's scenario later on in the year where we're talking about is someone going to skip Wimbledon to stay fresh for the Olympics? Yeah. Because they're going to be in very different conditions. I would not be surprised. We'll talk about it at the time, but they're going to be in very different conditions. The Olympics are going to be played in the same place as the French Open. So everyone's going to want to play that to get used to it. But yeah, that's a conversation we're going to have near at the time, but I could see that happening. Yeah, totally. Well, what about you? Who are you looking at on the, at the in the WTA side of uh, things for the Australian Open? Okay, so um, there's a few names I want to throw out there for you. Um, I guess in terms of who can actually win the title, I'm not going to go super deep into it because, like, I think Anastasia, you put two of your stories to watch as two title contenders. Um, I'm not going to do that, but the Names I think that um, everyone's going to hear a lot um, and are the people who are most like the women most likely to 
lifts the Daphne Ackhurst trophy um, in a couple of weeks. Iga Sviantek, who is the current world number one, four-time Grand Slam champion. Um, Arena Sabalenka, the defending champion in Australia. Coco Goff, uh, the defend the recent US Open champion. And Elena Rabakina, who won Wimbledon in 2022. Um, those four women are the main contenders, and it's hard to imagine someone beating them um, apart from each other. So that's gonna, that's pretty where like, your shocks, your upsets are going to go. People are going to be watching to see how they're playing, how they're performing on court. And they're also the top four seeds. They are the top four seeds, yeah. So, uh, which you know, makes it nice and easy to follow, right? Just look for someone whose number next to their name is between one and four, and you're kind of covered for who's probably going to win it. Um, anyone outside of it, m- like, would be a surprise. Like, there might have been a moment where, like, another American, Jessica Pagula, might have been in the conversation um but it's looking unlikely the minute because she's not well um she's had to pull out of a tournament in adelaide with a stomach problem like stomach illness um which is not nice which is debilitating for anyone let alone a tennis athlete i would not fancy trying yeah. to play a tennis match while feeling very nauseous um so i would say uh, i've got with five interesting stories to follow at the australian open and they can be summarized as two moms Two teenagers and a Brit. Uh, the mum, the first mum is Naomi Osaka, who has just come back from, and I mean just come back, six months after giving birth. She is a four-time Grand Slam champion, two-time Australian Open champion. Um, she's looking very happy, very positive, which is great because she's been very open in the past about her mental health struggles before having kid, having a kid. But she's she's back. She's looking happy. She was very competitive in Brisbane, got to the second round, lost a very close match with Karolina Pliskova. Um, and she's got a tough opening round in Australia against Caroline Garcia, who's the 16th seed. But she's someone who has a lot of potential um, to be in the mix in the future. And this Australian Open is going to be a stepping stone for her to show what level she's at coming in and how good her prospective year is going to be. But also, let's face it, I think... Um, Given she said that she struggled to get out of bed in the days after she gave birth, getting on a tennis court and playing professionally within six months is incredible. The other mum I want to speak about, and I'm going to say mum because that's the British way of saying it, um, is uh, Elena Svitolina, um, who has been back on tour for a while. She came back just before the French Open last year. And she went from not having a ranking to being seeded for Grand Slams within a few months. And she's playing better than she ever has. She's incorporated more aggression into her game and is far more effective. And I think if she she pushed Coco Goff in the Auckland final um, in a three-set match, uh, and I think she's got the potential to throw a spanner in the works of anyone um, outside that top four, more than anyone else, I would say. Um, maybe Lena Ostapenko. Uh, but... Alina Svitolina is a name I think we should keep an eye out for just because of how well she's playing. And she's going to be a name that I'm going to be mentioning a lot because I've kind of stuck my colours to the mast in other podcasts where I've said, I think she's going to be top 10 by the French Open. Uh, So I may as well just keep saying it. (laughs) Uh, uh, So yeah, she's another name sort of like, this is going to be an important stepping stone for her. And again, um, it's incredible for her. Like again, coming back from being, from, from, from giving birth and coming back and playing better than you've ever had in your career is incredible, I think, to be honest. Yeah. I don't think that's happened with anyone else in history. 
in, in women's tennis. Other end of the scale. So from, from mums to the kids, we're talking about teenagers. There's a few kind of, uh, uh, there's a few teenagers playing in the Australian Open draw, including some 16, 17 year olds. Um, so they are like the future of tennis. One of them is Mira Andreeva. We've mentioned her before, but also fellow Russian teen, 16 year old Alina Korneva, Brenda Fravitova from the Czech Republic, um, 17 year old Sara Bayek, um, from Czech is a very highly rated teenager. But um, I'm going to talk about two in particular, one of which hasn't had a lot of coverage in the tennis world. And that's Taylor Preston, who is 18 years old that? from Australia. Um, yeah. Mm. Now, she got a wild card into the draw um, and she, back in December. And there's been some people questioning whether she should have done it because she's not really played on the WTA tour properly yet. She's been mainly playing on the lower tier tour and the ITFs. And she got it ahead of the other Australian ranked players, including the Australian number one. The highest ranked Australian player lost in qualifying. She didn't get a wild card. There are currently no Australian women ranked in the top 100. So they've all had to rely on qualifying or wild cards to get in. And they're kind of hoping, I think the Australians are kind of hoping that someone like Aya Tomjanovic or Daria Saville, who are kind of established players coming back from injury, will represent them well in the draw. But um, I think Taylor Preston's got a tough draw because she is playing Svitolina in round one. But yeah, but she, uh, from what I can gather, she's had some decent results in the ITFs. Um, and I think uh, it would be a great story for her to say, Australian women's tennis is not dead. I am the future in this draw. Um, she's probably the highest rated talent right now on the women's side. Uh, but also... Uh, to kind of show that she deserved that wild card. That's uh, very much a, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't put it in an explicit tag on this podcast, <laughs> but basically saying, stuff you, I deserve to be here, essentially. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That should be interesting. That's a pretty tough first round draw, especially if you haven't really played on the WTA before. Yeah, I I, so. I think she's going to struggle to win that match. But if she gives Svitolina a run for her money, I think she's going to make a statement. Um, okay. The other teenage, teenager I want to talk about is 19-year-old Linda Noshkova, um, who is another prospect from Czechia. Um, and she is a player who um, has done well. Like, she's she got to the semifinals in, in Brisbane and actually probably competed the best with Elena Rabakina um, out of anyone she played the whole tournament. Um, and she's, I think she's got to make strides. She's got a lot of power. I've seen her play before. Very impressive. She can get under control. There's a lot of potential in Noshkova. Uh, but I could see her making um, a run that's going to raise some eyebrows. Um, so that's, that's a name I think people should keep an eye out for. 19-year-old Linda Noshkova. Finally, Brits, because, you know, we've talked about the Aussies. We've talked about the Americans, well, a little bit. We've mentioned Ben Shelton and Coco Goff. Uh, we have to also talk about um, the Brits. And the top-ranked the, the, the top ranked Brit um, at the minute is Katie Bolter in the women's. And Katie actually was one of three players who went unbeaten in the United Cup, the other two being Iga Sviantek and Maria Zachary. Uh 
And also she got her first top five win of her career by be coming from behind to beat Jessica Pagula. She was a set and two breaks down and she's not even in the top 50 at the minute. And she somehow came back. Bolter has got a very strong game. Nothing's flashy, but she's very efficient and competes well. Um, and I think that she's feeling very positive at the minute. She's got a much improved setup. She seems to be fit and healthy. Uh, and she's looking pretty positive at the minute. So I think Katie Bolter is a name that people should be keeping an out for, eye out for in Oz. If you can find that match between Katie Bolter and Jessica Bulula, which I watched live at the time, please just pick a, a lovely Saturday or Sunday to watch it over because it was quite the performance from Katie Bolter. I mean, it was... In general, and we'll talk about this a little bit <clears throat> when we talk about um, what happened on tour, but the United Cup was just so good this year. But that match between Katie Bolter and Jessica Bagula, if I can find it on YouTube, if I can, if, if you if the United Cup has posted um, a rematch of it, um, I will I will um, put a link in our show notes. But it was such a good match, and Katie Bolter just looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's one of those brilliant underdog wins that we get in tennis where mm-hmm. someone has an amazing day and shows that they can compete with the world's best. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely worth watching. And obviously, she's she's also been kind of ad- ad- adopted by the Australians because she's dating Alex Diminal. Yes, yes. So she's an on- honorary Australian as well. Um, I don't know. That's a good name. Like, look out for Katie Bolter. In um, at the Australian Open, I don't know what her draw is like, but um, the, her performance at the United Cup was was inspired. There is a possibility, which I think there are British fans out there who are hoping out of um, I, I, I hoping will happen is a third round match with Emma Raducanu. I think that's unlikely. Yes, but she might get Quinwen Jen. John Chin Wen, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Zhang yeah. is looking yeah. very good right now. Yeah, so I would back Zhang mm-hmm. to win that. And actually, I think Zhang, we don't really do predictions on here, but I think Zhang is a name that you could see being talked about for the next week and a half. I'll put it like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's um, a tough round. But yeah. I mean, can you imagine Emma Raducanu, Katie Bolter, third round? I, I mean, just that would be fun. I think... Yeah. I think the BBC would just stop and air that live. I think <laughs> everyone would stop in the UK. <laughs> third, third round match. Where are they? Like they would have to hope it was a Saturday morning match for us because then they pick it yeah. up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Eurosport would have a field day anyway. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Um, well, talking of matches, as we said, I mean, as of recording this, the Australian Open is about to start for us. So by the time this podcast is out. It will probably be already underway. Yeah. So um, I don't know when you're planning on getting this out, Anastasia, but hopefully you guys can catch these matches. But are there any matches that if you listen to this podcast and like, oh, they haven't happened yet, what should you go look for that is in like the first round? So there's some first round matches that I am really just going to clear my calendar <laughs> to watch. And one of them being Berrettini... And Tsitsipas yes. are playing a round one match, which 
is it's almost it's almost a shame that they're both in in varying levels of injury at the moment. You know, Berrettini is coming back from something. Sitsipas had his back issue that he's coming from. We don't exactly know what their level of fitness and health is at the moment. But this is a match that if they were both at a hundred percent would just be lights out and just blockbuster fire emojis everywhere. Um, they're both pretty just tall, big hitters. And, you know, when Sitsipas's backhand is working, it's just incredible. So this is one I'm looking forward to. Part of me thinks this might be an upset situation, but also it all depends on how healthy either player is as well. So that's definitely a match I'm going to be clearing my calendar for. Another one is Australian sensation Alex Dimonor and Milos Raonic. And Milos is someone who I think he, so he's coming back from a very long time away. Last year, he kind of came back um, sort of middle of the year, towards the end of the year. He had some, I mean, he beat Tiafo in Canada. He took, I, he, I think he, he had a first round match against Tsitsipas at the US Open that a lot of people thought he would do better in, but Tsitsipas got the better of him in that one. Um, but I don't know, Milos Raonic is just someone where I think if his serve is working, good luck, you know, because <laughs> that's exactly what happened to Tiafo. I think he just served him off that court that day. So could be dangerous, but again, Alex de Monor has also just, you know, he's been playing so well, moving so well. Um, I think it'll just be a fun, exciting match. And then the third one I'm looking forward to is Sinner and Botic van der Zanschlup. Botic is a player who, if he's on, he could be scary, you know. So I don't actually think this is an easy first round match for Sinner, especially for someone who didn't have a lead up tournament to the Australian Open. So either we get the Sinner who beat Novak and good luck to Botic and, you know, having him, you know, get any points uh, in the match or, you know, Sinner will still be warming up into playing in 2024 and Botic might have a chance. So that's a match I'm definitely looking forward to. Those are the three matches that I saw on the ATP side of round of round one that I was like, Oh, these could be, these could be spicy. How about you? So uh, I think I put a tweet out about this, but um, out of the 64 first round matches, I would watch 27 of them, which is almost half. (laughs) That is a lot. (laughs) I physically can't do that. Not if I want want to sleep or keep my job. Um. (laughs) Maybe you could just take time off for the Australian Open. It's fine. (laughs) I already take time off for Wimbledon. I think if I, yeah, that's just going to use all my annual leave. Anyway, um, so... Picking three is really, really hard. Okay, so you can, since you have so many, you can pick five. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a, yeah. No, but I was going to say, because like, there's a, there's a reason, because like we could go for clashes between big names, which there are three, mm-hmm. like guarantee, yeah. like actual big name clashes, but there's lots in there that are like matches that us tennis fans know about. And we would take you to if we had a, if you were doing a ground pass with us. Um, but yeah wouldn't necessarily 
make like make headlines, but we know he's going to be a good match. So an example of that would be Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova against Donna Vekic. Um, mm, yeah. Like Pavlyuchenkova is a former French Open finalist. Donna Vekic is a player who is very highly rated. Um, that's going to be a good match. It's very hard to call which one's going to win that one. Um, that's going to be a lot yeah. of fun, I think. Um, you know, so if that comes on your TV, keep an eye on it. Uh, one that's going to happen today that will probably be done by the time this podcast comes out is Ludmilla Samsonova against Amanda Anisimova. That's a battle of two very powerful, big hitting players um, who have achieved quite a bit in their careers. I mean, um, I, interesting a similar age, even though it feels like a bit, Anisimova has been around for a while because she had some a lot of success as a 17 year old. But I'm going to go with your your three blockbuster matches are between like some big name players. The first one of these is actually um, Igor Sviontek's opening match because Igor Sviontek is playing the 2020 Australian Open champion Sophia Kennan in round one. So you've got a battle of Grand Slam champions and they played the 2020 French Open final against each other and they haven't played each other since. So you've already got what could be a Grand Slam final in round one. Um, yeah. Kennan's a scrappy player. I think there's a possibility she could give Sviantec a headache um, in that match. So I think that it's gonna be, that's going to be one that's going to be quite entertaining. Um, another match that's worth uh, keeping an eye on, again, involving one of the big name contenders, is Karolina Pliskova, who is a former world number one, against Elena Rabakina who was a title contender and they are both tall, powerful women, uh, very sort of similar game styles um, and uh, maybe similar, but not exactly the same. Uh, I'm not going to go into the technical details, but I think that match will be interesting to watch in terms of how they figure each other out. And again, Pleshkov has just had a close match with Naomi Osaka. She's going to, uh, probably try and make Rebecca's life difficult. Um, and then the other match I want to talk about, it actually involves Osaka and it's her first round match against the 16th seed, Caroline Garcia, who, um, yeah, is actually in form. Um, those of us who know tennis know Garcia, um, when she's on can beat anyone. Um, but they're kind of like, they're both kind of off form. Uh, but they're both big hitters when they want to be. Um, Osaka is much better at offense than defense. Caroline Garcia is a very, okay, it would be Osaka's serve against Garcia's return. Um, and that's going to, that's going to be a very interesting dynamic to that match. I think that one's pretty much guaranteed to go three sets, to be honest. That's going to be a, a deciding set in that one. So those are the ones I would say, keep an eye out for, keep an eye on the Australian Open schedule where you are and see what you can reasonably do. If you're listening in the UK, that's going to be waking up super early. If you're watch, listening in the US, uh, that's going to involve staying. That might involve staying up late. Just staying up, <laughs> just <laughs> just staying up. What is sleep for two weeks of the Australian Open? Who needs sleep? I need sleep. I really do need sleep, and I love sleeping. <laughs> so it's really tough, but we're going to do it. We're going to figure out a way to keep up with the Australian Open this year. I have to say, <clears throat> this is actually why. The Australian Open of all four Grand Slams is the one I watch the least because it's just yeah. so hard um, to do because of time zones and stuff. But but we're going to try. 
Um, great. So that's our Australian Open preview. You know, watch it. Let us know what your favorite matches are. If you saw in our social media last week, because we're a bi-weekly podcast, we're now going to be doing these sort of like very short mini one week updates. So halfway through the Australian Open, we'll just drop a little 90 second video of what's happened in the Australian Open. But we will be back in two weeks to do a full recap and a full review on our next podcast about what has happened in the Australian Open and who won. So put your predictions in this one and then we'll take a look at them. Um, when we when we record the next and see who who's right who who got the prize there's no prize maybe one day there'll be prizes but for now just in the comments in your reviews leave who you think is going to win the Australian Open um but before we go we're going to talk really quickly about what has been happening on tour in the last two weeks so the first two weeks of the season there were a lot of tournaments Nick there were a lot. Now, we have alluded to some of the results. So I think for speed purposes, let's just rattle through who won those tournaments um, and not necessarily go into detail about how they won them. And um, so we talked a little bit about the United Cup earlier and Australia not quite making the final. They lost to Germany in a very tight um, encounter. And then Germany went on to beat Poland in very similar circumstances where um, Hubert Hercatch for Poland had match points to seal it for Poland. They'd gone one up because of Sviantec and he didn't convert and Alexander Zverev turned their match around to level it. And then Germany, despite Poland's best efforts, won the mixed doubles match. Um, so yeah. yeah, Germany ended up winning uh, the United Cup. Um, that's kind of the the kind of joint event. Um, on the yeah. WT. Yeah. So there were there were out so many they were almost out so many times in the group stage. Yeah, Kerber kept on losing her singles matches, and the one match that she did win, Zverev lost his. Exactly. So it it was it. I mean, it was a tough going for Germany, and I don't think anyone would have called them to win it. And somehow, somehow they got through. So good win for Germany there. Yeah, everyone was calling Poland or the US to win it. And Poland came so close. Um, but it was an interesting tournament because it meant that we could see potential mixed doubles pairings for um, the Olympics coming up as well, which that we'll, yeah. we'll have a mixed doubles event. Um, so it's, it's, it's only an event that happened, a discipline that happens a few times a year. So that's a lot of fun to speculate with. Um, maybe we'll see some of those pairs again at the French Open. Um, but yeah, so that's um, the United Cup. Um uh, rattling off on the WTA. So uh, we had a few big tournaments. We had um, two 500s over two weeks and two 250s. Um, and so we had the Brisbane 500, which was won by Elena Rabakina in barnstorming fashion, almost Fiontech-esque. Just. In- yeah. I mean, just clean, just such clean. I mean, she just. She was clinical. Was so clean, her win. She, she uh, clinical, was- that's the word. Yeah. So yeah, she, yeah. Okay. When Rabakina is on, she is the epitome of ruthless efficiency. And she was yeah. on this week. It's the first time I've seen her on and she sustained it for a week and she demolished Arena Sabalenka in the final. I don't think Arena knew what to do with in that match. No, she didn't. Elena was just no. that good. 
Um, and she, I just mean, she kept, I mean, she was hitting the ball so hard that it threw arena back so many times. It was, it was a clinical performance. Yeah. So for me, um, yeah, that's, that's going to be one of the best performances all week is like Elena Rabakina winning that title in Brisbane. Coco Goff won the title in Auckland. We alluded to that before. Um, in Hobart, um, Emma Navarro has got her first WTA title, American, um, just out of college. Um, a name I, w- I think should be kept an eye on in the Australian Open for sure, Navarro. I'm backing her to do big things. Um, and um, in the Adelaide 500 event, that was won by Yelena Ostapenko, who's had a good two weeks because she got to the quarterfinal in Brisbane as well. Um, so at the minute, I think Ostapenko is looking like a very, very uh, dangerous player. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a quick rundown of who won the titles and some of the stories that came because of them. So yeah, the the big takeaway being Germany just nicked it and Elena Rabakina, wow. Uh, what about the ATP? Wow, wow. On the ATP side, Gregor Dimitrov, like we were talking about, he won Brisbane. Um, really, really great um, tournament for him. Um, I didn't watch much of Hong Kong. Um, there were some matches that, that that were great, but Andre Rublev took that title at the um, Hong Kong Open. Um, and then just recently, um, we had Adelaide. Basically, Adelaide is a mixed competition, but they have them on different weeks for the ATP and WTA. And in Adelaide, Yuri Lehechka of... of of the Czech Republic, he won um, his match. It's the first, and he he's now in the top 20 or top 30. I think he's now in the top 30, which is the first time 30. And it's the first time a player from Czechia on the men's side has been um, in the top 30 since British. I I read and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Nice to see the, the men from Czechia doing so well, especially since the players on the WTA side, are beasts basically i think every woman in chechia plays tennis and they play very well (laughs) yes um also a player that i've never heard of um from chile alejandro taballo he won the asb classic and i think he's the first chilean in a while to yeah to to win um a title. So that was really good for him. I think it's the first Chilean player in about, I think in over a decade to win a title on the hard court. But yeah, so those were the tournaments on the men's side. Again, these were sort of the lead up tournaments. It was nice to, I think the, the importance of these two weeks was just to see how players are, you know, playing and, and what their form is going into, um, the Australian Open, unfortunately, we did so- see some injuries. Liam Brody had an injury and had to withdraw from the Australian Open. Also, Borna Joyo just withdrew as well. Um, he has a back issue. So, and, you know, I mean, how can we not talk about it? And I can't believe we spent this whole podcast not talking about it. But Rafael Nadal, who came back to play in Brisbane, and played very well. He played a few matches and they were very um, good. He was beaten by um, Jordan Thompson in the third round. I think it was his third match. What a final. And unfortunately, yeah. And he unfortunately had to um, withdraw from the Australian Open because he sustained a mini tear um, during that match. So 
yeah, definitely he's getting on his Rafa. past two he's, weeks. He's getting on. Uh-huh. He's getting on Rafa. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. But we're hopeful. Hoping he comes back. He, his his message, his his little like hola a todos message was very positive. I think he's being very cautious because I do think he really wants to play the French Open and also the Olympics. Um, so hoping to see him back during the clay court season for sure. Now, finally, I mean, I think we've already kind I mean, if you can't guess who Nick and I's players of the Fortnite are at this point of the podcast. Are you even listening to us? Like, are you listening? <laughs> but let's start with Nick. Nick, who was your player of the Fortnite? It has to be Elena Rabakina because of the way she just clinically put away the opposition in Brisbane, including Irina Sabalenka. Um, she bageled or breadsticked, she bakeried most of her opponents. <laughs> uh, bakery is a new verb I am now using. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that was an incredible performance as we talked about. And although there were some interesting stories from the last two weeks that are worth noting, I don't think I was impressed by anyone as much as Elena Rabakina. Like your player of the week didn't win a tournament, but I think he pretty much went unbeaten. Um, yep. And, um, oh no. Know. Oh, he didn't. He did. No. He was beaten once. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's kind of a similar level of, oh, wow, look at who he beat, look at how he performed. And I don't think maybe it may, there might've been one other player who could have matched it, but I think yours is for similar reasons. Yeah, no, I think my player of the Fortnite is Alex de Menor, and mostly because I think he was sort of trying to prove a point. Alex de Menor is someone who, he was a next-gen player. He played in the next-gen finals a few years ago. He kept um, getting to the final, losing think, in the final, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, I think a lot of people just don't rate him. They think he's small, not only in height, but in stature as well. And he's just been labeled as this sort of scrappy player who has moments and beats, you know, Andy Murray in every single match they will ever play till the end of time. Um, but then that's pretty much it. And I think he used the United Cup and the few matches that he played um, at the beginning of the season to sort of turn all of that on its head. And he, 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 he lost his very first match to Cameron Norrie, which I think, based on who he beat following, is shocking. But he lost his first match to Cameron Norrie, but then beat Taylor Fritz, Novak Djokovic, and Alexander Zverev. And... If you had told me, you know, Alex de Menor would have gone on a run like that at the end of last season, I don't think I would have believed you. But he really showed some grit. And, you know, I think there is a level of him playing in Australia, you know, where his team captain is Leighton Hewitt. And that just brings out the best in him. But it was very impressive um, watching him play over the past two weeks. And I really do think he's going into the Australian Open, you know, with a bit of momentum and yes is it it, it might be a bit of an exaggeration to say he's going to win the Australian Open but I expect him to do good things and it's not just Australia it's also Sydney Alex Dimonor in Sydney is a beast because when he's played there before Mm. when there was a tournament there or when they had the ATP Cup which was another which is like the United Cup men only um at the same location um he's beaten he's now beaten Novak Djokovic 
Daniel Medvedev and Rafael Nadal there. So something yeah. about Alex Dimonor in Sydney is just unstoppable, really. I think maybe Cam Norrie only beat him because he was just getting warmed up. He was just getting warmed up. And now he is in the top 10. He's a top 10 player. He's the first Australian male player to get into the top 10 since Leighton Hewitt. Um, so congratulations to him and um, ho- really hoping he can carry this, not just through the US, the Australian Open, but through the, the new season. That'd be great to see, I think. Um, I think uh, an Aussie tennis would like that as well, to have a star they can back at their tournament. Well, I think Anastasia... Enough talking. Should we go watch some tennis? Should we go watch the Australian Open? We should go watch the Australian Open and we really hope you join us. Um, Stay tuned to um, our podcast, our social media channels. We'll be updating you on matches that have happened. We'll make reels and all the fun stuff that you love. And we will see you again in two weeks with the winner of the Australian Open. See you then. Bye, guys.